it's really easy to think that I am a leader, therefore I need to show you I'm a leader. You know, listen, think about the team dynamic, you know, remove people who are not going to help you. It's hard, but you have to do it. You know, remember, you are there because somebody wants you to look after that team. So look after that team. And sometimes that means doing difficult things, but you have to look after them. You can't do everything, so you need people to do things for you. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening everybody. I'm Ben Morton and a very warm welcome to episode 85 of the podcast in which we are joined by Tony Harris. Tony has spent more than 30 years working in advertising in some of and for some of the world's most famous brands. He was the CEO for BBDO, one of the world's most awarded advertising networks for more than a decade and he headed up offices in Manila, Tokyo and Hong Kong. Then more recently in 2021, Tony founded a business called Stray Rhino Business Mentoring where he has the pleasure in his words of mentoring many rookie leaders and their management teams. These days Tony splits his time between Newcastle in the northeast of England, London and Manila quite some triangle of locations there. Most recently, he has written a fabulous book, Leadership 101. And I say that with absolute sincerity, having a copy on the desk in front of me right now. It is a fabulous book full of short, pithy advice that is more tactics than strategy. And I highly recommend you grab a copy, folks. But don't grab one just yet because... Tony has kindly given us one copy of the book to give away as a free prize draw for listeners of the show. So if you want to be in with a chance of getting a copy of the book for free, then just click on the competition link in the show notes, folks. Three simple fields to fill out and we'll enter you in the prize draw. I loved my conversation with Tony and I know you are going to love this episode too. As always, we covered quite a lot of ground, but we also dived deep into a few topics. We spoke a lot about making difficult decisions as a leader and some of those hard calls that we have to make. Tony spoke about self-doubt and how to deal with that as a leader. We also looked at being liked versus being respected and so much more. So without any further delay, folks, I'm going to dive straight in and I hope you enjoy this brilliant conversation with Tony Harris. Tony, a very warm welcome to the podcast. Um, we just had a brilliant chat off air that unfortunately we didn't hit record on. So I'm very much looking forward to chatting with you right now. But uh, first of all, how, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Ben. Uh, it's a lovely day up here in Newcastle. We're enjoying the weather for once, having had a very cold weekend, but it's uh, it's nice to have a bit of sunshine for a while. Yeah. And it's uh, isn't that terribly British? We go straight into talking all about the weather. Well, they always say it's why the Brits make great diplomats. You know, they, they don't talk about things like guns or religion or sex or politics. They talk about the weather and nobody can argue about the weather. And that, that's possibly why we make such good diplomats. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I've never heard it described that way before. <laughs> so, Tony, I feel very fortunate to have in my hands right now a copy of Leadership 101, which, again, I said off air just now, I absolutely love. and 
honestly, I think it's going to become sort of one of my favorite sort of go-to leadership books to just dip in, in and out of. And when we was chatting, you were saying kind of it was almost a reflection of your leadership journey. So I think it'd probably be quite interesting before we get into talking about the book and some of the leadership lessons, like what has your kind of journey been? What's, what have you done? What's got you to where you are now? Well, firstly, thank you very much for your kind words. I really do appreciate it. I'm always slightly embarrassed when anybody has anything nice to say about things I've created. I was very fortunate. I joined an industry which was advertising, which was uh, at the kind of peak of its powers um, when I joined it. Uh, was very popular. People loved advertising. They all talked about advertising all the time. It was a, a very popular kind of subject. You know, it made the front page of newspapers and and I loved it. But from day one, I looked at the people at the top of the organization and said, I want to go there. Every week, every month went past, I would gain a little bit more understanding in the res- of the responsibilities that went as you moved higher up the, the you know, you shinned up the greasy pole. Uh, you know, like a magpie, I was stealing bits of people's style and their way of doing things that, that helped me create my own I think what sort of New York Broadway agents call shtick, you know, your own way of doing things. And that helped me so that when I finally got to the position of running advertising agencies, there was still a lot that was new and a surprise. But, you know, I I felt at least I'd been prepped quite a lot along the way. Whereas I I, I then came across people in, in other industries, also within advertising, who had basically been sort of super practitioners at their job. As they'd grown, all that happened is they were kind of doing the same thing in a more challenging arena. And then suddenly they're put in charge of things and they have very little preparation for that. And I was talking a little bit about about Joe Root. I'm not a, a huge cricket fan, but you know we know that he is possibly the greatest batsman of his generation and actually of many other generations who is flourishing as a batsman, but then became captain of England and suddenly his mojo seemed all out of whack because he wasn't able to concentrate what he did best he was having to concentrate on all the issues and pressures that went with being the captain of the team and you see that quite a lot in all sorts of walks of life you know from everybody who's put in charge of an organizing committee or a or even a division at work or a or a sports team and that suddenly when you're in charge there's a whole load of different aspects come to doing it they sometimes can get in the way of doing your your job so that was what got me to write the book yeah that makes sense there's so many questions from that Tony that I want to ask you probably the first one is you said from those very early days sort of you looked at the people at the top of the organization and said you want to be there do you know do you remember why what was it that appealed or what was the the draw that was pulling you towards those senior roles I have to be honest I mean advertising was a fairly glamorous business then it's less so now you know they had fantastic offices and they had great cars in the car park and stuff like that and and you kind of went i'd I'd like some of that but also it was something you'd never seen until that point was the ability to sort of say yes or no or we will do this and and make decisions that people then followed and i you know i found that was something i wanted to be able to do i wanted to affect change i wanted to be drawing out master plans for projects and stuff like that and be able to go well this is this is where we're going and this is how we'll get there and now are you all on board you know and I, and I kind of liked that I felt inspired by the people 
who were leaders, even if, you know, I'll be honest, at various stages during my career, I didn't have great leaders. Mm. But I felt inspired to go and either do their job better or to try and do the job as well as they did because people look to them and you you like that. I suppose it, it may be the little bit of the old sort of actor in you that sort of likes the eyes that look to you to lead them or, or to entertain them or to whatever it is. But that's kind of... I think what what drew me to the the positions. And do you remember at all if when you when you got there when you stepped into that first MD or C- CEO role was the reality of the job what you thought it would be? Did the reality match the dream? Yes, I'll be honest. Yes, it did. You know, it's funny. There's a word that sort of feels slightly polluted now, which is ambition or being ambitious. And if you're seen as ambitious, people assume that means you're backstabbing or you're go-getting or, you know, sharp-suited, you know, and and you're aggressive. And it's not. I think everybody should have ambitions. Everybody should have aspirations. There's nothing wrong in it. There's nothing wrong in wanting to be in a position different to the one you're being in. I don't necessarily say better. I say different. And I think that's what drove me to do that and I and I, and I and I you know I was ambitious uh, there may be people along the way who hear this and go yes and you were backstabbing you had terribly sharp elbows and were awful but I hope I wasn't <laughs> and it's interesting because we've we've probably talked around it without me asking the the direct question which nine times out of ten is the very first question I ask guests on the show so let, let me ask you now like what does leadership mean to you Tony it echoes what I've just said before. I think it is the ability to bring people with you in whatever endeavor it is. And you have to work on the basis that the people you're bringing with you are in uh, on a scale of reluctance <laughs> from not reluctant. You know, they'll go with you or they are very reluctant. And the job of leadership is to get those people to come with you regardless of where they sit on the scale of reluctance. Yeah. I, I, I love that. It reminds me of one of the military definitions of leadership, which is basically along the lines of motivating people to do that which they don't want to do and and do it. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 absolutely right. And you know, people don't always want to do things. They don't, and they don't always agree with you. But then, you know, it is sometimes like you know, herding cats, or as as one of my colleagues once said of my style he said it was like you're you're like herding sheep with bubble bath (laughs) you kind of work around the outsides and pen them in you know that's kind of what you're you're trying to do tony clearly you've got a a book full of these lessons learned really but what would you say are one or two of the main leadership lessons you've learned throughout your career or most profound leadership lessons that you'd potentially share with someone someone like you however many years ago who's aspiring to become a md or ceo in the future it's interesting because as i say it, it was a book that was kind of about tactics rather than strategy but there are some sort of themes that sort of come through so some of it's quite nuanced in the differences between them i think the first thing I would always tell people, I think the the best piece of advice is that you're there on merit. You will be there on merit. You may just think it's circumstance, but somewhere along the line, somebody thought you were the right person to do that. For whatever reason it might be, it might be timing, it might be expedience, but you are the the guy who's, who's, who's there. So you are there on merit. And even if you think you're not right for it, always remember that somebody thought that you were 
And I think that's important because one of the lessons you realize is, is that there is a lot of doubt in leadership. You very rarely have the opportunity to share it, but there's doubt. Churchill used to talk about the black dog coming to his door and Lincoln is another great leader who had terrible paroxysms before he was signing you know, the emancipation bills. And it's okay to have doubts. You're supposed to. If it was so easy to just make decisions, then we'd all be doing it and you wouldn't need leaders. But if you take that sort of personally, you're there on merit and you shouldn't really doubt your, your situation. I think really it is the team dynamic. You always have to protect the team dynamic, you know, so always listen first, you know, and involve as many people as you can. It's really easy to think that I am a leader, therefore I need to show you I'm a leader. You know, listen, think about the team dynamic, you know, remove people who are not going to help you. It's hard, but you have to do it. You know, remember, you are there because somebody wants you to look after that team. So look after that team. And sometimes that means doing difficult things, but you have to look after them. You can't do everything, so you need people to do things for you. So protect the dynamic. Yeah. How did you personally sort of manage and deal with that doubt that inevitably crops up? And I, I, I'm with you. I think all of us have that doubt as leaders. Whether or not we all we all share it and how openly we share it is a, is another thing. Um, but how did you manage that when you're trying to make some of those tough calls when you're operating in the in the grey where there is no right or wrong? One of the pieces that I put in the book is about operating in the grey when you know you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't and there were always those decisions but the you always have to remember that the worst decision is often to do nothing and so you have to do something i always think the one that puts you personally under the most moral stress and pressure is probably the way to go the one that feels hardest even though they're both hard but the one that is probably hardest for you personally is probably the one you have to take but how do you cope with that well the answer is you just get used to it you know you have some sleepless nights drink a little bit too much coffee or whatever else it is that you do but i think you have to remember that you know this isn't your family you're dealing with here close personal friends and we can talk about that later actually but this is either your business or an organization. You know, you have a mission, you have a vision, you have a goal, you have an objective. And if what is happening is stopping that being achieved, then you're wasting yours and everybody else's time if you're not taking action on it. And you have to always keep telling yourself, you know, more often than not for the greater good, even if they don't realize it, even if actually less people are going to benefit. It's where you're going to go. And I think you just have to see it as a the goal. You own the objective. It's yours. So if you own it, you have to protect it. And that's how you get through. It's never easy. Sometimes when you have to let people go, give people bad news, or you have to start again, somebody has to step up and do it. And somebody somewhere thought that you were the person to do it. Then return that faith even if you can't remember who it was, but return the faith. Yeah, I, I like that. It's a mixture of paying it back and paying it forward, I guess, isn't it, really? So what about this relationship piece then? let us You said we can talk about that later. Let's talk about that now. That was a interesting little prelude you gave it. This comes from the, how I first started to think that this might be an, a fruitful area for people. 
uh, is about when you are suddenly the captain of the team or the head of the committee or in charge of the business division and you've got people you think are your friends and often their reaction to your elevation. Mm. And that can sometimes be really, really, really hard. And it was one of the things that sort of drew me to this. And in the, in the book, I illustrate some of these with famous quotations from, from people. And for that one, I took St. Jerome, <laughs> strangely. And the quote is, the friendship that can cease has never been real. Right. You know, friendship is unconditional. You know, employment or engagement isn't. Yeah. You know, as you've grown up, particularly if you, you were with a bunch of peers, perhaps on a sports team, or you, were, you came in as a, an intake of something or other, and then one of you advances faster than the others, suddenly when you've all been equals and friends, they can look at you differently when suddenly you're in charge of, you know, at the end of the day in business, you're in charge of a paycheck. And we've all had those moments when people who we thought were with us the whole time either try to take advantage of their connection with you and you have to be very careful about how you treat that because anything you do that goes against them they'll immediately think that you're overcompensating for the friendship Mm. and sometimes you have to and if they're they're not supportive of you and not helping you then they're not really your friends yeah you made them in a in an unnatural setting you made them through often through location rather than through values or shared experiences and you know a friend who doesn't support you when you are put into that position isn't a friend they're just a rival in waiting and it's tough and that's one of the very toughest things about finding yourself in charge of anything is because there's always somebody else who thought they should have it Sometimes there's nothing you can do apart from bite your tongue or move them on, but it, it's tough. And I, and I think that and that, that was one of the very early things that that started me thinking about about this was nothing prepares you for that. Nothing prepares you for how the world looks at you differently. Mm. And you you need to know that. I, I think it's one of the things you need to know that. People are going to look at you differently. They're not always going to invite you to the pub for a drink. They don't always want you there because sometimes they want to sit and have a bitch about you. It doesn't mean they don't like you. It just means they're sharing their experience and thoughts. Just rise above it. You have to be able to rise above the chatter. Yeah, Tony, I think this is such a a rich conversation. I'd love to keep exploring it a little bit, actually, because when you first said they're not your family, I was like, oh, not not sure what what I think about this. Kind of what what, what do you mean? I think I do fundamentally agree with you. So my first career was in in the military, and we was always taught to really get to know, know your soldiers. And I think this is where my belief comes from around every single person that we lead is the most important person in the world to somebody else, right? There's somebody else's family, husband, wife, partner, mum, dad, son, daughter, whatever. And how we act as a leader doesn't just impact the people that work for us whilst they're working for us. It has an impact on them when they go home and that has an impact on their, on their family. But I, I do agree with you. Ultimately they're not our family and they're, I think out of work, we might develop 
close friendships that that might endure. But I think actually I do really agree with you here. I think it's dangerous potentially for us as leaders to almost have the expectation or belief that everyone at work is our friend because as you've so eloquently put it it's not going to be the case right and suddenly someone who we think is a friend might behave in a in a way that we wouldn't expect a friend to behave firstly i agree absolutely with your point about leadership and everybody is a member of somebody's family and you have to always understand that and be empathetic to that it's very very important I kind of the the point about saying when they're they're not your family, you can treat them as your family until the moment they don't treat you like you're theirs. Yeah. And then if they were your family, you'd try and build bridges or you'd try and sort it out. If they're not, then you go, okay, you're not family, then we'll deal with this in a different way. I think that was more... It was more about the reaction in time of strife. Yeah, yeah, and no, I'm with you. Rather, rather than that, I think I, I think everybody, you you do, you have to get to know people very well. You need to, you know, one of the things in first hundred days of taking on any new role is talk to everybody. Doesn't matter where they sit, just at least let them get to know you, if nothing else. But I think the issue of, as I say, when I say they're not your family. If they don't want you to treat them like you're in their family, then don't worry about it. It's not an irrevocable family split, which yeah, is yeah. something that you know, none of us want. And of all the um, 101 tips and lessons you, you wrote about, Tony, which ones did you enjoy writing about most and why? I think I enjoyed, I enjoyed the one about negotiation, actually, quite a lot. How you should consider negotiations, because... I've seen people who think about negotiation negotiation as being extracting the maximum for you whilst giving the least away. And I was, I was thinking about that going, you know, that's absolutely not the way to think of negotiations. Because you almost start writing it, you know, as if, you know, when you negotiate, you're going in always to defend your corner. You're going, well, you're not. You're actually going in to reboot your relationship, mm-hmm. to reboot it so that everybody leaves feeling that they've got an outcome that they're happy with. And I think it's interesting when you look at, you know, the world and politics and all the things that we see going on as to whether people do think about negotiations in that way. Is everybody going to go home happy? Because you get a negotiation wrong, you end up with very, very long-standing resentments that may not be expressed but they're there. Yeah, and continue to drive suboptimal outcomes. Absolutely. I mean, I, Treaty of Versailles, 1919, <laughs> divided up the world, and we're still living <laughs> with the consequences of that now. And that's uh, that was what I enjoyed writing, actually. I don't, I don't know why I particularly enjoyed writing it, but it was, I, I sort of almost felt, I felt I was really challenging things, quite importantly. One of the other ones I enjoyed was the one, and I felt was quite important, because it's another one that people really don't, tell you about it's just about telling jokes yeah because humor is a really nice icebreaker yeah and it can level everybody and we're all having it but when it comes out of your mouth it's amplified so you'd better make sure that you are not laughing at somebody and giving everybody reason to point at them you 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 know ideally be self-deprecating or you know something that's a a long-established thought and is not is not taken personally or anything and I, and, I, and I thought that was that was something that again is quite you're desperate 
to be popular. You know, you want to be popular, but actually the important thing is to be respected. And, I, I, you know, as you, you know, I, I spent quite a lot of my career going around. Uh, I've worked in different places around the world, uh, particularly in Asia. And I used to say, well, I, I haven't come here to be a tourist. You know, I'm not here to have a good time. I'd like to have a good time, but I'm here to do a job of work the same way as if I was born here. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't make any difference. And I think that was very important for me was, you know, I'm, I'm here because I'm good at my job and I will learn a lot about your culture and your country from you, but you'll learn up-to-date ways of working from me. So... You know, we're all in this together, but I'm not here to mess about. <laughs> I'm here to do this properly. Yeah, cool. So that was one that was important. And just a quick note here for, for listeners, actually. Tony's really kindly given us uh, a copy of his book to give away. So if you want to grab a copy, folks, just click on the little competition link we put in the show notes and you can uh, just enter the free free prize draw. But Tony, one more on the book before I ask you a few of our sort of regular quick fire questions. I was, I was just flicking through it this morning before we jumped on the call, and there's so many of the lessons that stood out. But the one that jumped out to me, which I think is something that everyone can relate to and everyone wishes would be better in the world of work, but number 21, on the value of meetings, um, I, thought was re- I thought was really interesting. <laughs> and I'm just going to read it out, actually, if that's right. So everybody feels the need to take time out of their leader's hectic schedule with a flood of meetings. But as meetings cannot be avoided, look to get the most from them. Love that. Most importantly, keep to the schedule and show enthusiasm. The subject is probably of paramount concern to the invited audience. Again, I love it. And this is the bit I wanted to ask you a question about. Enter all meetings with these intentions. Firstly, exhibiting imagination. Then tightening the bonds between your team. And finally, making clear and actionable decisions. If a meeting is unlikely to exhibit these, then you should reconsider the value of your attendance. Meetings should be considered a showcase for your leadership strength. I, I, I love it. I, I love the order. I don't know if it's intentional, but the making clear and actionable decisions was, was the third one. But the bit I wanted to ask you about, can you just tell us a little bit more about the, the first one, exhibiting imagination? What, what do you mean by that? I mean, it's it's a pretty broad term, exhibiting imagination. But as I said, people are coming to you because they believe they have something very, very important to talk to you about. And you are either going to confirm yeah. their decision for them or you're going to counter their recommendations. And that's how you need to be imaginative. Because if you are going to just say yes maybe it's an opportunity to give them a little bit more uh, ballast to their argument and go, actually, I thought this was very good. One of the things that, funnily enough, I was just reading today that might make this more current when you take this down the road is this, and they will go, you have added value to my thing. Or if you're countering it, and this is where it it becomes a little bit more nuanced, it's it's actually you're going to have to, deconstruct somebody's hard work without necessarily driving a stake through their heart. Yeah. Because they've put a lot of work into it. And that's why I think it's about exhibit imagination rather than exhibit knowledge. 
Because I think with both of them, what you're trying to do is make them understand that the decision is good and to make it better, either by changing it or by improving it, by giving it some currency or some uh, thing. And and I think that's that's really what I was I was saying. You know, uh, you can just sit there and go yes or no if you want, but I think they're looking mm. to you for affirmation one way or another. And that's how you need to be imaginative in how you do it. So that's why it's important to be well read on the subjects that people come to talk to you about, because you might have something that's more current and that you go, well, actually, that's a really good idea because this is a trend you can pick up on, for instance. And then if it's no, one, obviously being sensitive, but also being pretty solid on your ground as to why something is not right and doing that and then going away, they will probably curse you, but they'll go, yeah, but he's, he's, he or she is right. They'll go, they're right, but oh, I wish I'd known that, you know. You just have to make them go away and not feel stupid. And, Tony, you've got a few um, quick-fire questions to, to finish up. What do you think are three key traits for leaders today in the world we find ourselves leading in? I think the things that are important for leaders today are the things that are important for leaders 2,000 years ago. Oh, here, here. Protect the team dynamic. Be prepared to have doubts. And remember that you're there on merit. And Tony, what is one book or even the one book that's had the most significant impact upon you? I'm going to talk about two books, actually. Um, the first book, and it's one that came out quite recently, and it is a great business book. And it's one that I absolutely loved, and it was given to me by my then boss when I was uh, heading up the, our office in Japan. And it's by Adam Morgan, and it's called The Beautiful Constraint. And it's really about how you deal with not having enough of things. So if you've not got enough time, or you've not got enough finance, or you've not got enough resource, thinking laterally about how you can start to fix those things. Because, you know, it's a, it's a perennial that you never have enough of anything. Yeah. And it's really uh, about how to find solutions to those kinds of problems. And I think as a leader, it was a wonderful book, particularly in Japan, because I, I did find Japan was sometimes quite passive aggressive. And it was always, no, you can't do this. And no, you can't do that. And it had a wonderful, wonderful idea in it that, uh, which I do talk about in the book, actually, which is moving from thinking, well, you can't because to where well, we could if. And I used to have that on the wall in Japan, which to get people to go, well, okay, we know why we can't do things. But if we, you know, if I borrowed, you know, 10 people from, somewhere else would that would that make a difference if i moved money from this account to this account would that make a difference but it meant you were constantly going through sort of a brainstorming to solution yeah. so I, I i do like that i love that beautiful constraint piece that reminds me we did a big renovation on our house many years ago and the house next door was was rented and the owner lived uh, somewhere in southeast asia actually and to, to us it felt like he was being quite difficult blocking all of all of our plans and we ended up doing like five different versions of that with, with the architect 
and actually the final version is beautiful and is way better than the original original plan so through that constraint we got to a much better better solution so i've not read the book but i'm going to go and grab a copy actually it's great it's about literally embracing the things that you see as challenges mm. and which i think is leadership all over and i think it's a it's a super book and it really did did change things the second one and i've always kept this on my on my desk at work is i've always had a lovely book called What Would Keith Richards Do? Right. Uh, and everybody goes, well, why, why do you want to read that? You know, uh, well, I'm going, well, he's in the rich list and I'm not. And in fact, one of the quotes in the book is one of his, which I use because I've, I've always I've always loved it, which is his thing where he says, you know, when it's time to go on, it's time to go on. And when you get up there, you either croak, puke, fall over or not. And it's just like, you just have to get on with it. And I love that as a kind of leader. You know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, well, all of those things could happen, or maybe they won't. And I just, and it was it was great. So I have, I have that. It's always there. I'm a huge Rolling Stones fan. So that one has always been quite useful as well. Love it. And slightly left field one, other than your phone, because that's what everyone, not everyone, what lots of people say. What is one item that if it was lost, stolen or broken, you'd immediately go out and replace? Well, it depends. I mean, for getting through life, as I, as I find, because I, I lost one very recently, was my Kindle, actually. Right. Uh, I left it in a cab and I was devastated and I need another one straight away. Um, I would always say record player is my other thing. But actually, that would devastate me if I lost I. And it's reflected in the book. I always have a little notebook that I have with me, which I write down interesting things I read or see. And that's, you know, because I sometimes might want to use them again. I think if I lost that, I, I wouldn't even be able to replace it. It would be devastating. So that would be probably the thing. Tony, it has been amazing chatting to you. I could have sat here chatting to you for, for two, two more hours. So thank you so much for, for your time, talking about the book. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great, great book. I wish you every success with it. And kind of reminder for listeners, we've got a copy to, to give away. So maybe give, give, it a, give it a week, folks. See if you win a copy. Then after that, do rush out and buy one if you're not the, the lucky winner. Tony, thanks very much. Wish you all the best. Take care. All the best. Thank you so much, Ben. It's been a pleasure. There you have it, folks. Episode 85 of the podcast. I can't believe we've done 85 episodes and we are rapidly closing in on the 100 milestone. If you've got any suggestions or connections for a great guest to come on episode 100, we are actively looking for someone really special to join us and celebrate our 100th episode. So I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a line via chat at ben-morton.com. And a quick favour, please, before you go, I would be super grateful if you could spend just a couple of minutes to rate, review and subscribe to the show wherever it is you are listening. It really does help. It really does enable us to continue bringing you more and more episodes up to and hopefully way beyond episode 100 of the show. But for now, for episode 85, that's it. Hope you've enjoyed listening. Take care and lead on.